Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rolling Mall, the Leicester Tigers fans podcast. Deflated, fed up, annoyed, angry, but we're still here. That's nice. And just to summarise how this meeting, uh, meeting, sorry, this podcast setup has gone. We did have a time start of 7pm Sunday night to get this sorted. I then had my cat throw up on the bed, so I've had to go shove that in the wash. The kids are crying. The computer wouldn't start. Then when I tried to get on, all the updates went on. So the first half was an absolute shit show. Uh, the second half will hopefully be as average as always. Now, what does that remind you of, Elliot? <laughs> it's almost on point. Almost, almost on point. point. Uh, Elliot, you ca- came down to the West Country. You stayed in Casa del Cooper. Um and uh, how did you enjoy your time there? Have you left a, a review on TripAdvisor yet? Uh, definite uh, full score grading. Uh, hospitality was was very good. Um, really enjoyed it. No, it was good to actually, as always, it was enjoyed to uh, uh, watch the game with you. Uh, Tigers then ruined the experience. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, as we'll get on to uh, later on. But no, it was, uh, other than the actual game, it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Good. I'll take that. I'll take fine as being a positive score. Uh, we actually got so pissed off with the game that we got back and watched a rom-com uh, like lads do with the beers. Lads, lads, lads. Lads, lads, lads. Exactly. Um, just go with it. We fan. So it's quite, quite funny. The crazy German guy is quite funny. There was some good stuff in there. Good stuff. Yeah. The wedding crashes, unfortunately, wasn't available, but that that's the go-to. That was, yeah, that was our um, literally on the way home. We were like, let's do wedding crashes. We were yeah. going through like ta- favorite films, wedding crashes was on both our lists uh, yeah. in this specific genre. And it got home, not there. Um, and again, that sort of summed up the night. Yeah, <laughs> summed, exactly. Summed up ty- Tiger disappointed, Netflix and every other streaming service disappointed. The food was good though, and the hospitality was good. Wedding crashes also uh, sits, I feel, at the more masculine end of the scale. That is very metrosexual for you know men liking rom coms. So um, instead, we had to go for something sort of like more bang smack in the middle. But anyway, look, we're going to um, obviously talk about the Bristol game, what went wrong, you know, a couple of bits that went okay, um, and some f- few things that we can hopefully hang on to going into the sale game uh, next weekend. Uh, we've also got to probably give you a heads up that this is going to be a very very short and sweet podcast, not just because we don't like talking about when we lose, which is entirely true. We're basically using this as a nice excuse, but um, we're recording this on Sunday night because Elliot is flying out on holiday to Marrakesh tomorrow morning. I've also got to get a 6am train to London tomorrow, which is which is grim. Uh, and then I also, I won't be back until very late. So we wouldn't have a t- any time to record the podcast. Uh, and then I'm off on Tuesday for a week-long conference. Very, very long and boring, but we're both super busy and important. That That's the long short of it. So you're going to get a bit of a bite-sized podcast this time, which suits me just fine, because the less time we have to spend talking about um, Friday night, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it, maybe that's why Maybe that's why Tigers um, didn't turn up, because they knew that uh, we had to record a very short podcast. So uh, maybe they were thinking of us, as they always do. Yeah, cheers, lads. Thanks for that. Really helpful. Um uh, aside from that, uh, well, because of that, sorry, I should say, we're unfortunately not going to do uh, an update on the fantasy rugby for both for the World Cup uh, and for the Premiership. All I will say on the Premiership side was that my plan to stuff my side full of Saracens and Leicester Tigers players was uh, turned out to be ill-conceived at best. 
Uh, my plan to go with Faka because he's guaranteed a try paid off handsomely in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was I, one of the most of... This is a great thing about fantasy. Obviously, not I'm not happy about it because it obviously happened to Leicester, but it is it, it does make you aware of things in games because you know, if someone scores, you go, ah, oh, who's in my fantasy team? And actually, I've actually been paying attention to the games, the rest of the games in the um in the rounds. You look you try and pick out who scored what. Again, just to see who's in the um, the fantasy team. So Lewis Ludlow is in my team. He scored on Saturday. Don Brandt's in my team. He scored. So it's it's all those sort of things that make you uh, make you aware of what's going on. So uh, yeah, it, 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 a bittersweet moment when Thacker goes over. But I was like, told you. <laughs> yeah, say it's a dead cert anyway, isn't it? Thacker scored. Thank you. Liebenberg scored he was in my team so you know i got double joy when he went over so brilliant as always though thank you very much to everyone who's been listening and enjoying please leave a review if you can if you want to get in touch our twitter handle is at rolling wall pod our email address is the rolling wall at outlook.com and you can find our facebook group which is called uh the rolling wall podcast before we crack on a quick thank you to our sponsors st martin's coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martin's have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. The news section is brought to you by Parish Brewery. Parish Brewery award-winning ales are brewed in a 400-year-old convertible stable block in Borough on the Hill in rural East Leicestershire. And it's from here that the chaps that run the place, good blokes, dodgy haircuts, a couple of them, but that's fine, like to follow the traditional ways of brewing using only the finest malted barley, hops, yeast and water to brew their cask-conditioned beer. The brewery began life in 1983 as one of the first microbreweries in the area and forerunners to many others that have opened since. In addition to the many beer festival awards, the brewery is the proud recipient of a Guinness Book of World Records Award in 1994 for having brewed the world's strongest beer at the time, Baz's Super Brew at 23%, Baz being the previous owner of the brewery. Uh, Baz's Bonds Blower, by the way, is still available in bottle form, and if you want to finish a night on a high uh, or, or a crushed low, I fully recommend it. It's actually very tasty. Um, anyway, please follow the Parish Brewing Company on Facebook or Parish Brewery on Instagram and take a picture of your Parish beer next to a pump clip on the bar with you in the picture and include the name of the pub and post it on the Facebook page or the Instagram page and you'll be automatically entered into a draw at the end of the month to win a 10-litre bag in the box of the cask beer you are photographed with. And the two beers you're going to come across in local pubs are Parish Special Bitter and Proper Charlie. Now, Proper Charlie is very, very popular. Special Bitter is my personal favourite, but both, both excellent. You'll find it in various local pubs around Leicestershire, and in particular in Everard's pubs at the moment, where they happen to be guesting. Good luck, everybody. 
and enjoy. Okay, time for the beep, 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 news section. And again, it's going to be a little bit of a whistle-stop tour this time because say we're sort of going to be running short on time, but we will start with the Leicester Tigers women who were also playing Bristol and unfortunately who also had a less than pleasant day of it uh, down in the West Country. So, Elliot, um, obviously we've not seen the game. Um, the Again, the women's podcast is still in the works. That will be coming up very, very soon. Um, but uh, it finished off a very, very one-sided one, 55-3 to Bristol. Um, Bristol have been a very, very established and effective side for a number of years. Um, I just got to say, you've got to some, you know, sometimes got to take this, particularly without your most experienced players who are away um, in the WXV, you know, the, the premier women's competition, international women's competition. Now you've got to get your young guys out there and and just face the music sometimes. Yeah, it's effectively that's, that is what's happening. You know, Bristol are an established team in this competition and at women's rugby. Our, our team isn't. And th- th- this is, again, it, it's a, a fam- familiar refrain on this. This season is going to be a lot different to what last season was. Um, this is all part of the learning experience. And ultimately, what, what Vicky and the girls have got to do and the rest of the coaching team is effectively take away as much. They've got to learn pretty quickly. And this is exactly what Steve said when he took over three years ago the men's team. He said, we've got to learn. We're going to learn pretty quickly. And that's all what they've got to do. It's all new experiences for them. This is second year, and you have to put that into perspective. And as as hard as it all is, they will be better for it. And in a period of time, whether it's one year, two years, however long, they will look back, like the men's team did, and go, we came out, we we learned so much from that experience, as bad as it was and as horrible as it was, we were better for it. And ultimately, at some point in the future, whenever that is, they will all look look back on these on these games. And as tough as they are, and they'll they'll be, it will be an experience on their journey for them. I, I think what it is quite stark for me is the the gulf between this the league and this caliber of opposition and the division below. Because we were handing out these kind of score lines to other sides last season. In fact, actually adding add another twenty or thirty points on it, yeah. and and for us to be on the receiving end of you know a not dissimilar score line, it is just a harsh reality that we've got to face. Um, the the betting in time will take time, but I'm sure we'll get there in the end. Right, shall we just move on to a quick bit of Tiger Watch? Go on. Well, the good thing is now we've, we're into the quarterfinal stage. We can uh, look forward to uh, a couple of our guys coming home soon. First man returning, Tommy Rafael, game against Argentina. Uh, Montoya obviously captaining uh, the Pumas. I thought that was a great game of rugby. I thought Ireland, New Zealand will have to be very, very good to um, to be better than that. And oh my gosh, it was. Just a quick shout out for that game. That was outrageous. Yeah, probably for me up there was one of the Hall of Famers World Cup games. All, yeah. Absolutely all-time great. Yeah, it, my immediate reaction is the best course final I can ever remember. Um, it is uh, had absolutely everything and it will stand very, very uh, well against classic semifinals and other uh, knockout games as well. You know, I'm thinking... Uh, Obviously, the, the the France New Zealand one in '99 um, as being you know the sort of the pinnacle really of uh, knockout rugby in the World Cups, but I think this this runs it bloody close. Be fair, Ireland have had plenty of practice of quarterfinals, uh, so uh, I wonder if they. Uh, so I wonder if they, how it ranks soon. in there. Oh fuck it, fuck it. <laughs> they didn't win, so sod it. Yeah. Don't, don't, it... don't don't lord it around on social media for the last twelve months and saying how great you are, and then. 
um, go out the first time of asking. So uh, see you later, boys. Yeah, well, the quarterfinals, as we say, the, the France-South uh, Africa game hasn't yet kicked off, so we can't talk about uh, Andre, who is on the bench uh, for that one. Uh, Visa, very surprisingly, not in the squad for that one. And I'm really surprised given his... Uh, Vermeulen, I think, you know, is the better operator in the tight and around the moor. But Visa is, you know, he's such a workhorse for them in defence um, and in attack. He gets so, so many more touches than Vermeulen. I'm quite surprised that he's not involved. But um, just talk we to are very of, French, though, aren't we? We're, we're, at the moment, we are very French. We are very French. I mean, sorry, sorry, Andre. Uh, but obviously, given, given how Friday went, we, we want our World Cup winning 10 back uh, very, very soon. Uh, actually, well, I say, in fairness, we want all the boys back. Um, let's just quickly talk about Wales, Argentina. How do you think Tommy went? How do you think uh, uh, Julian went? Uh, didn't watch any of the game um, until the last five minutes. Uh, so I will say that both were tremendous. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll summarise for you then. Montoya was was epic. He was up there um, as one of the best on the pitch. I thought uh, Issa for Argentina was absolutely outstanding, as was Kremer as well. They, they, they were superb. But they just started to win the battle and the breakdown. And actually, that became very apparent when Tommy Turnover went off and was replaced with a very different back row of Chris Shinzo, who's an excellent player, but you know, a, a breakdown boss, he is not. Uh, and I thought Tommy was very effective, particularly in the first half. But then I'd say Wales seemed to collectively lose their grip. Uh, so a, now, England, I've only watched in dribs and drabs today uh, because the kids were running around. It was been, been a chaotic day. Um, I, I left just as <laughs> to take the kids out for some food, just as it got to about the 60 minute mark, just when Fiji started <laughs> running in tries and we started collectively shitting our pants. Um, but obviously, we had a few guys playing in that one. We had uh, Coley and Chesham starting in the pack. No Freddie Stewart, very, very surprising. But how do you think those lads went? Yeah, I think I thought Coley had a good game, um, did what he needed to do. Um, and it was very, very apparent that um, of the impact that Coley was having in a positive way, because as soon as he came off and Sinclair came on, Sinclair turned into Stinkler with three penalties given away in the space of five minutes. Oh. So, um, not the finest afternoon for for young Kyle. Um, Chez, I thought had a good game, uh, but England collectively seemed to 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 go very very leggy and look out on their feet on that sort of 60, 65 minute mark. I think the physicality of having to tackle twenty stone Fijians for, for for that length of time constantly started um, taking the legs away a little bit. So. Chez dropped off a couple of tackles, um, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, but there, there was that bad one on Randranda, which was the one that stood out. Just when, yeah, that led to the try. I mean, to be fair, Itoji then missed him as well. But it's a shame because collectively, I thought Itoji and Chesham had been superb up until that point. You know, they were yep. they were sort of level pegging with the back row as being our, our best players on the pitch. Ben Earl was sensational, got to admit. I think thought he was absolutely outstanding. Um, so, you know, proper fair play to him. But I think the... Um, I think, yeah, with Chesham, he was excellent. The more he got a couple of turnovers, some absolutely massive uh, shots in defence. And then, like you say, kind of like there was about a 10-minute period where everyone just kind of like seemed to lose it. But fair place, and they clawed themselves out of that hole um, and got the win. And Coley, he went for 60 minutes and he looked good. But he looked really good. Uh, yep. uh, so fair play to him. Um, as Aside from that, the only thing I've got to say about the South Africa-France game is that I put on an £8 bet, so that was left in my Bet365 account, uh, accumulator, Argentina to win, England to win, New Zealand to win, three out of three, to return 114 quid, cash out 56, there's no point in that, I'm going to hang on to that. Let it ride, let Let it it ride, ride. boy. Stressful evening ahead. 
All right, then. Let's get to it. It's probably the biggest letdown since, I suppose, married life for my wife after, you know, I was such a great boyfriend before the uh, for the proposal. Um, ask her. We now live in a place where I'm I'm freaking out about our cat being sick on a bed. That's the kind of lifestyle we live. Look, um, let's let's talk about the game on Friday night. Let's get it over and done with. I, I just want to do that because obviously, in case any Bristol fans listen to see whether or not we're going to be gracious, we are because before we are obviously going to focus on Tigers and their perspective and what went wrong. But it's important to say at the outset that Bristol played a really really good game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just say, you know, well done, Bristol. They fully deserved to win on the night. They played well, and yeah, you, it'd be churlish to try and say anything other than uh, well done, Bristol. What impressed me was they weren't cutting us to ribbons as in, uh, you know, playing basketball, um, globe trotters, rugby. They were just playing really tidy, smart rugby. Uh, they made very, very few, I could probably count on one hand, unforced errors. And whilst their set piece was a little ropey at times, they made up for it by being pretty flawless everywhere else, I felt. And, and, you know, you could count on both our hands, both our toes, between the pair of us, our unforced errors within the first quarter. Uh, and that was from, like one of the big differences between the sides. So they were super tidy. They were very, very clinical. Uh, and they were resilient as well because you know, we, we did take charge of the game in the second half. And whilst, you know, they started to creak, they didn't break. And I, I think that... Uh, God, this is going to hurt me to say. Got to tip my cap to Papa Lamb. I think that uh, you know he he has that he had that side very well drilled. They all knew their roles and they, and they performed it really well. So um, first things first, well, uh, well done, Bristol. But so we are going to talk about Tigers. But Elliot, just how disappointing was it to see everything that we've done preseason and everything that looked to be promising not translate, and particularly the first half. Let's talk the first half in relation to the first half. How? Disappointing was it to see almost that preseason become an irrelevance? It's extremely disappointing because it was so bad. I mean, it was shockingly bad. And I, there's a few comments after the Bedford game of, oh, it's shambolic and disgraceful. I mean, that game wasn't either of those two things. Friday night is the definition of a shambolic and a disgraceful performance. It was so bad across every facet, pretty much every facet of the game. There's a couple of bits which we can hold our hats to in the first half, but it was awful. And it wasn't just, you can have a, like, say, for example, the game against um, Sale in the semi final, where we were only, we we're probably at 90, 95% of our true abilities in that game. And it just needed a little bit of tightening up. It's 1% here, 1% there being better. And you may get the win. I would say we were probably at 20% max, 20, 30% max of that size mm-hmm. capabilities. And it's not just individually, they were all off the pace completely but collectively they were all off the pace I don't think any player in that first half 1-15 to can hold their hands up high and go I had a really good game there because it was so so bad I think that's I think that is what is so disappointing is that it, it it's the they just didn't have any of the basics nailed down I mean did, you talk about whether we want to play like Steve Borfuck's way of playing Wiggy's way of playing McKellar's way of playing it's irrelevant if you can't even do the basics well you didn't look like any team you know, it was that was how bad it was. And I was thinking if I was to do a three-word review, what would I put in there? And the words I was coming up with stuff like shocked, bewildered, surprised, because it's the same team from two weeks ago against Newcastle. Same players, same group, two just two weeks down the line. 
And the drop-off isn't just um, a little bit. It is stark. Like, it, it's, it's chalk and cheese from the t- from two weeks ago to last Friday night. And to, to be that much of a drop-off, it, it is so large and so worrying. You almost are, are in some realms of going, well, what, has, what on earth's happened? You know, what did go on? Because it was so unrecognisable from what this Leicester team and this group are all about. And, and that was what I found so amazing. Because even when you look, think back to when Steve first came in, we had we got very quickly into the basics. That first year of Steve, we just did the basics very, very well. And we got ourselves organised and we were competitive. We couldn't even do that. That's where I'm so sort of like bewildered by what actually happened. Because you just go, if you're not... I've watched every game of the last six weeks whether it's on catch-up or in the stadium. And you'd go, irrespective of who you played against, Tigers have done what they've needed to do very, very well. And they've always impressed me in terms of their actions and their own ideas that they've wanted to do. We didn't do any of that. We've not done it. We just looked. Like, if that was your first experience of watching Dan McKellar's Leicester, and to be fair, a fair few of our fan base haven't watched any of us under the Premiership Cup. So that was their first experience of seeing a Dan McKellar Leicester. You would be justified in going, what on earth have you been doing for three months? You know, we've had quite a few comments on the stuff going 16 week training. You go, well, it's a fair comment because on the basis of what you saw in that first half, it looked like they only just met together in the car park for the first time and had a, a run around. Well, I mean, you made the point at the time saying you wondered if basically we had a game plan, saw what the weather was doing, and then perhaps said, right, we're going to try and do something entirely different that we haven't really been focusing on and and obviously that backfired but seeing the way McKellar was shaking his head you, you wonder if he's just saying well what thinking to himself what the fuck are they doing on the pitch the I mean it, the first half of me could only be described as 50 shades of shit it it was it was so bad and I'm not saying that the players weren't putting in the effort so I'm not going to bag that they will always try hard and you know the, it, it's hard to single out the special players because it Rugby is such a connected sport that when one thing goes wrong, at least two other things go wrong, and it becomes sort of, uh, you know, a continuous cycle of th- things going badly. I mean, like just off the top of my head, we we lost the contact, but our, our ruck speed was slow, which then meant that the speed of ball was slow, so you had less chance of winning the contact. We were far too fucking narrow. We were there were times because we were sat sort of roughly sort of like behind the dead ball line, so we had a view of how wide Tigers were playing. The widest guys for most of our attacks in the first half were bloody Harry Wells and Cam Henderson, who were stood in the middle of the park. So we we had the full half width of the pitch that wasn't being utilised. And what you're doing there is you're condensing the defensive line. You've got less space to run out. Now, I understand perhaps how we want to do is perhaps punch a few holes and then spread wide, you know, and so you try and catch them unawares and you're trying to get a defence that's scrambling to get across. I get that, but you can't just play repeatedly narrow, repeatedly narrow and do the same thing again, running a guy into two guys who are stood close together and expecting to make yards because it won't work. And particularly without guys like Visa and Montoya, we, we, we don't have the players to do it. The, I thought to say the skill execution was terrible. And once the platform was, was ropey and was poor and slow, the halfbacks were, were, were dreadful, unfortunately. The, Saw Joe Powell, who had looked so sensational um, pre-season. I thought his service had looked brilliant. I mean, his passes, they, they were going down, they were going up, they were going into touch, they were anywhere except the breadbasket. So you, you've got to bear that in mind when we people I've seen have a go at Charlie Atkinson. But then in fairness to those people, when Charlie Atkinson, bless him, did get the ball, you know, his kicking was off. 
Um, it was inconsistent. It, it, it wasn't um, aggressive in terms of trying to win the territory battle. The there were, again, there was issues with the distribution, the passing going down, and that attacking structure. You know, he's the ten, he's the general, and it's coming through him. And he's a wonderful player. I saw against Newcastle. I know again in that he didn't have his kicking boots on, but he led that attacking line really well, and he led the attacking shape really well. And there was none of that um, this evening. Uh, uh, sorry, Friday evening, and. It's telling. And Adam Whitty made the comment, didn't he? Not often you see the halfbacks sub before the front row. Uh, and you've got to say that Whiteley and Shilcock both made a difference uh, when they came on, even if it was just actually some urgency and some speed. Uh, but there was certainly actually more direction to our attack and what we were doing. It, it, Charlie's an interesting one because I still think he's a highly talented player. But I think that he... I think his confidence will be be very low now. So I think that the reaction of Mikel is going to be really interesting. Um, I think it's a, he's a put your arm around kind of guy rather than uh, uh, lay the law down to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very much his confidence does look shot, and I do. I'm. A, I sometimes get. I have to be careful because I'm a big Charlie Atkinson fan, so I don't want to sound like I'm biased. I do, do still think he's a very good player. However. <laughs> He had an absolute stinker on Friday night, and you can't get away from that. Uh, it's interesting. If you look at Joe Powell and Charlie Atkinson, the reality is their squad, at the moment, they're either squad players or backup players. You know, would you, let's say Joe Powell, do you want him to be as good as Lenny and JVP? Yeah, you, I would. Is he? Does he need to be? Probably not. It just needs to be a competent premiership level scrum half that is dependable to come in and do the job when he's been asked to play. He didn't, he didn't hit that level. You know, he didn't look, he didn't play yeah, like a it's, it's fair to say, guys have bad games. And, you know, kind of like this isn't calling them bad players at all. But no, absolutely. I, I don't think we'll be saying anything that they're not thinking themselves. Yeah, he's not a shit player. He's a good player, but he just didn't play anywhere near the level of what even basic competency of what he can deliver. The same with Charlie Atkinson. I'd like Charlie Atkinson to be as good as Andre Pollard. I don't need him to be as good as Andre Pollard, but I'd like him to be as good as that. But it's not an issue if he's not. But he's still a good player. But he didn't get anywhere near the performance levels of what he's capable of. And it was almost 1-15 to 15 of where you go look across each individual player. And they didn't get anywhere near like for their base level performance of what they're capable of, let alone anything like the extras on top of that. And I've just got a picture in front of me from last week when we were doing our notes and last week's pod for the, for the preview of the game. I wrote down literally the two big things for last week, for, for Friday night, which we were doing a preview of the three, as I bore everyone to tears on the, the three pillars of our game intensity accuracy discipline i said last week if you get all three right irrespective of the game style or plan you want to play if you get all three right you'll give yourself the best opportunity of winning the game tigers cross all three of those areas areas were non-existent absolutely non-existent we also said last week about the first 20 minutes we said bristol would come out the traps home game all the razzmatazz noise in the stadium the crowd would be up for it team the team would be up for it we needed to match fire with fire in that first 20 to match them. And if they weren't, if Bristol didn't turn up in the first 20, we needed to be on it so that we could throw some shots at them and get ahead. Again, Leicester weren't there in the first 20 minutes. And it, it's funny that you mentioned about the halfbacks. It's where actually you can always work it back and go, well, the outside backs didn't have a very good game. So you go, well, Atkinson didn't have a good game. Well, why did Atkinson not have a good game? Well, it's scrum in part because the scrum half wasn't giving him much to work with. Why was the scrum half? having a bad game. Well, the forwards weren't winning the collision. So, you know, it's all it can all be traced back to the very basics of 
fundamentals of rugby, which is, you know, whether you're playing for Leicester Tigers on a Friday night in the opening game of the Premiership, or, you know, Melton Murray Bray fifth team on a Saturday afternoon jolly against whoever. The forwards have got to be on red alert, come out the traps, play with heart, fire, and, you know, just come out hard and hit them hard. But we didn't do any of that. You, I think you said in the stadium it was the wettest 40 minutes you've seen from the Leicester side. And that, we're not even talking about the weather here. It was it was just so painfully flat. And it does come into the question of why was it so poor? Because the second half wasn't great. It was at average, but it yeah. was better. It was better. Uh, the thing is, like, if you saw that second half in the context of like a better first half where we played well, You'd say, yeah, we were all right second half. And we were we were okay. We won the second half 14-3, which as you really put it like that, actually doesn't sound like we didn't play as well as that scoreline suggests, I don't think. But right. we did at least start to, I think, approach like a level that was that was fine. That was basically could be your your baseline. You know, when you can't play um elite rugby for 80 minutes, but you know, when you have like your 10, 10 minute sort of like slight drop-off, that would be kind of like that level. So that was that was okay. It was a step up. And, you know, you've got to say uh, to a degree, well done to the guys starting to bring together. And as the game was going on, they were looking better and better. So hopefully that's something to be positive about. But, you know, it is say just like when things go wrong, it is contagious. You know, Kelly and Porter are such uh, now very experienced guys in the midfield. I know they're still young, particularly Kelly, but we were seeing things that we just weren't expecting. And I think Guy threw a pass into touch, which was strange. Kelly then tried to wang a ball. We think he was, it wasn't intended for Porter. It hit Guy Porter like in the, it, he was going to hit him in the face. We got his hands up and knocked it on. Don't blame Guy for that at all. And, you know, I think you suggested it was supposed to miss him. Thank God he did try and get his hands on it because actually, if it had been a missed pass, it was getting picked off um, for a try by a Bristol runner. So, and I saw Kelly, he, he flew a really nice pass out wide at one point, but the overlap wasn't really there. But the fact he was, wanging that ball to the touchline suggested to me, and that was in the first half, that we were already kind of out of ideas and we just wanted to get the ball to poor Ollie Hassel-Collins, the guy who I probably feel most sorry for, who saw the ball in no space and was trying to do some, you know, some steps and, uh, you know, make half breaks, which he did. Uh, but as it turns out, his um, opposite number, Ibitoye, was just quick shout out to him. He was sensational, absolutely sensational. Um, uh, by far the best player of the park, very well deserving of his uh, player of the match award. Um, let's say, I don't want to dwell on that too much and also say this is a condensed podcast. So shall we Shall we try and look at some of the more sort of positive things to take from it? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the first positive for me is that first 20 minutes, I think it was 22 minutes was the, the point where we got to 19 nil down. I think that's when we reached our lowest point of that was 22 minutes in. At that point, away from home, away at Bristol, where the crowd were up, the team had got the tails up. You saw it with Northampton last year at, at Ashton Gate. You saw it when, with Saracens against Exeter over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, hmm. at least yeah, we're not Saracens. There, there's there's yeah, the biggest positive of the weekend. Oh, yeah, we need to buy Mark McCall a pint because he's uh, he's, he's done us a favour there. <laughs> um it's very easy when you go when you have that bad a start after 19 minutes after 22 minutes to be 19 nil down you can fall apart pretty pretty quickly and Bristol our team that can take a team to the cleaners very very quickly in terms of racking up 40 50 60 points the fact that they didn't let that happen and they stuck in the fight and like you say they then win the next 60 minutes if you to if you to take it 
fourteen six. That in itself is 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 a positive that they stayed in the fight. Heads didn't drop. They were still pretty poor for the rest of that sixty for the majority of that sixty minutes, but they found a way of winning it as a period. So I don't think they. You could almost, if you wanted to, and I'm not sure if it's, if it's a good thing or a bad thing, or if it's right to do so. You could almost separate off the first quarter and go, that was absolute dog muck. But the next sixty minutes, you won fourteen six. Again, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. That might be brushing things under the carpet, but that is the scoreline of the time period. So yeah, that it, in it itself would have been is a very easy. Would have been very easy to properly implode there. I guess a really embarrassing scoreline, as it is twenty five fourteen. It's a solid win, but it's not a thrashing. Uh, and it's not embarrassing, although I say that first quarter and most of the first half was, in reality, in terms of performance, was was very, very bad bordering on on embarrassing. Um, but as I say, the second half, they did pull it back to a point where they were competitive and they matched Bristol. They actually started to dominate territory. They started to dominate possession. They still weren't doing enough with it. I don't think they won't still won't be happy with effectively the patterns that they were showing, but you know, we were having some short runners hitting some angles. Hanro scored, you know, a, a nice try hitting a gap, which had been manipulated. So that was pretty, uh, pretty handy. Uh, and, and obviously, I think Dan Dan's try, the best best one in the world, was was a lucky bounce from a kick and some indecision from the fullback. But it was varying things up a little bit, uh, and so it was it was something that Tom Whiteley did. I don't think he executed what he wanted to do perfectly, but it worked out brilliantly. And at least he was looking to provide some variation because we were oh so predictable. The other positive thing I will say is Cam Henderson's chase back for Ibitoy's third try, uh, sorry, second try, Bristol's third try, which we we question whether it, or not it should have stood. There seemed to be a suspicion of a knock-on in the build-up and, uh, and potentially a double movement, but which Chesham got penalised for, for the less against Moa. But, you know, them's, uh, them's the break sometimes. But Cam Henderson chasing down Ibitoy for... Unfortunately, unrewarded last gas tackle was was a bit of a highlight for me. Yeah, I think on the back of that as well, if we're going to find some positives, I thought um, whilst the drive never got going at all and Bristol did a very good job at stopping it, both Charlie Clare and Nick Dolly's arrows were very, very good all throughout. And we did actually sneak a couple of of wins against the Bristol line-out as well. So the line-out work, was 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 good and it actually set up some decent platform ball force. She actually just didn't do anything with it. Mm. The scrum, as I'd say, there was a few creaky moments and I wouldn't say it was a, a, a resounding positive, but I thought the scrum held itself up pretty well. Uh, I we definitely, I definitely put it in the positive column. I think, or I noticed there was a couple of against went, a couple of calls that went against us, but overall the scrum, yeah, it sits in the positive I, column. I think we won more penalties than we had than conceded against us. Yeah, um, put put it that way. And I, I also found it noticeable that in the first half we'd engage and just hold. In the second half, we really went after it, which we for me and went. Yeah, which actually sort of sounded like or reflected a, a change in attitude, a change of aggression. So we were so flat in that first half, and I was pleased to see a little bit of snarl, a little bit of aggression come through. I like the bench. I uh, feeling off the back yeah. of that, you know, Havrill. Havrell led the charge in terms of the aggression off the bench. Mike yeah. Williams made a couple of good carries and got over the gain line. Yeah, did well. You know, you talk about in the back line, uh, um, Whiteley and Shilcock. Again, they just came off the bench and they didn't need to play like Prime, George Gregan and Dan Carter, but they just did the basics very, very well. Kicked well, sniped well, distribution was a lot better. And suddenly, Tigers went for... Tigers then... It's all, Again, it comes back to 
Tigers with Haverall and the rest of forwards started winning some collisions, delivering better ball into Whiteley, whose distribution was better into Shilcock. Shilcock was running the attack a little bit better than what Atkinson was doing, was kicking better and was making better decisions. And with a better attack, you get better collisions. And like I say, then the, the positives start kind of being self-fulfilling as well. It's it, it's easy to see how you go into the downward spiral. And unfortunately, we, we started that very, very early on. Um, the one thing about Shilcock, he's got a huge boot on him actually as well, and that's a proper weapon. But it, it is, and it. This is where we're recording this before the France South Africa game, so we don't actually know how that's going to go when we're doing this. But you know, if let's say South Africa win and Pollard goes into you know goes through for the next week, it makes it a very interesting selection call then about how you want to want to play it for future games. And Shilcock on that evidence. We were both saying um, after the game, has almost made himself undroppable from the fifteen. Whether that's at ten or fifteen, he almost has to play in the in the starting um, thing. And again, this is what the whole point of having a squad is about: is that if, if lads don't take the opportunity when they get the start, but people off the bench do come on and do take the opportunity and improve things, then they put their hands up for selection in future games. And this is where actually some of the recruitment has been pretty good for summer because now look, there is a decision to be made in a few areas. And we, but we have options. It's not as if we go, oh my God, we've got to play the same again. McKellar has a choice to make and he, he, it's up to him what he wants to do. But as a positive, is the bench having an impact and putting questions and putting the names up for next week? Right, let's move on to them, some three-word reviews. Again, because we're running a speedy ship this evening, we'll just do uh, one each, although you think you've got a bonus one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a few on a theme of ban Mike now or all Mike's fault. Ah. Um, I mean... It, it's like the Irish quarterfinal curse. Yes, it, it, oh, there is only one person to blame here. We've just done 20 minutes bagging Tigers. We could have condensed it into really, <laughs> just into one one Black single meal. reason. Mike Cooper bought a ticket to a Southwest game with the it, evidence. It, I present the evidence, lawyer. But no, okay, okay, I'm going. I'll present my counter evidence. Is that I've seen us win more times. Uh, I've seen us win all but one time at King's Hope. <laughs> so basically, there must be a line, one of the A roads or something that I'm not allowed to go because I saw us get stuffed by Exeter as well. So I, I think that against Bristol, I'm certainly no longer going to go. And don't worry, I know we've got Bath in a few weeks. I, I I'm not going to sell one of my children to buy that ticket. I'm going to, I'm going to graciously avoid going to that game. And if we win, if we win, we will know that it is properly like the Irish quarterfinal thing. It's a proper curse. It's a curse. It's a curse. We might all have to put. I might. I might be tempted to put a five on us because you're not going. I might put a cheeky five on us to beat Bath on the uh, with the bookies, uh, just to see if it actually uh, again to see if that has any impact. I, yeah, I think, was, sorry, our, our record at Ashton Gate is shocking, isn't it? Apart from that game, uh, the, the game where Guy Porter scored the last minute try in the championship season. Yeah, it's not a particularly yeah. sparkling do, record, so do, it's not all do, on you. No, 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 no. But do you know what the only game at uh, Tigers Bristol game at Ashton Gate I've not been to in the last. Five years is. Is it? Is it that one? It's that one. <laughs> <laughs> right, fucking hell! It, it was obvious. I don't know why I didn't think of it. I'm sorry for making you drive all the way down. To be honest, mate. <laughs> right. Um, okay. What, what what other three word review, reviews have you got that don't place the the entirety of the blame for Friday on me? No. Well, it's quite it's quite funny to do so. But um, there's a quite a, there's there's loads. And to be fair, and thank you for everyone to be getting in touch with it. Um, I'm sticking to the the positive theme of I don't want to dwell on the negativity there was too much of it Friday night so I'm sticking positive vibes 
And Neil Butchell went next week better. And I like Neil's positivity. And one next week has to be better because it, it is Friday night. Let's not call it out any other way. Friday night wasn't acceptable. So it ha- just has to be better. And secondly, it needs to be better. I mean, so it, it can't get any worse, I think, is the, is the theme of all of this. I think we have hit, I think you allowed one stinker um, in a season. We've just decided to, to to play ours in the first game, which isn't ideal, but that's what well, that's what we've done. So uh, yeah, come on, I'm manifesting positive vibes out of next week. I'm going to pick one here from Russ Powell, who says very little cohesion. So perhaps slightly more negative, but also reminds us that this is a very new team with a lot of new faces under new coaching. Cohesion isn't always going to be there, and this is a heck of a step up from playing Newcastle or Ampthill or anything like that. So perhaps in the pressure cooker of a proper premiership game, we saw the first thing to fall apart in those situations tends to be your cohesion. Players go off and be more individual, uh, and that seems to be the case there. So uh, that I thought that was a good one, Russ. But like I say, I like the positivity. Uh, I think the first 20 minutes against Sale are going to be fascinating. Okay, on to our nails 15. And we, we're going for the blindside flanker position. Traditionally, one of the hardest busters in the pack, the blindside flanker. You know, the seven, he's all like, oh, look at me, I'm getting a turnover. They all love me, pathetic. But then you go and turn around, and, you know, the number eight's like, oh, I want to carry, aren't I pretty? Everyone watch me. But then the blindside flanker, dirty work, grafter, nails. This is, this is one of the key positions, I think. Tell us the outcome of the uh, result. Yeah, so the vote was between Lewis Moody, Brett Deacon, Paul Gustard and John Wells. And to be fair, a runaway uh, winner was Lewis Moody with 61%. So uh, finally, Nails. Mudos gets it into a uh, into the vote. Yeah, I, he was an extremely hard done by sort of absentee from our um, sort of all-time, type, well, pro-era Tigers 15, wasn't he? Um, we bent so many rules to get him in, just to try and get him in. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I, I mean, he, he did run like a winger when he was in his younger days. Um, <laughs> but I, I saw him score a hat-trick against Paul Guan, I think it was, at Welford Road. He was um, you know, he, a hell of an athlete, but as you say, complete psychopath on the pitch, stuck his head where people wouldn't put their feet. Worthy addition to that team. So this pack is building up quite nicely. Now let's talk about open side flankers. Elliot, who have you got in mind? So Craig Newby was a selection possibility for six, um, but we'd already got four in for six. And happily, Newby's versatility meant that we can play him at um, for seven. Newby was hard, tough character, um, and I think he's a worthy advocate for the uh, for the for, for the vote. Well, you get you've got two types of Kiwis, haven't you? You've got the flash ones, and you've got the ones that probably grew up in a farm carrying sort of three sheep under each arm. Yeah. Um, newbie was was that kind of guy. He was like proper salt of the earth, hard as nails, versatile, hardworking, top bloke as well. Really, really lovely guy. I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times. Uh, and actually, if we're talking about positional versatility, remember he played in the centre against Ospreys. Oh yeah. Well, so so we can add that in. Uh, I'm gonna obviously chuck in the obvious one. I think at seven is Neil Back. Uh, I know that you know it's just one of our, not our best ever players. So he's probably gonna be a runaway leader anyway. But it's you must remember that. He wasn't picked by Jack Ralph Ringham because he said he Ralph said, Oh no, he's too small. He's, he's he's way too small. 
And he had to go up against that his entire life, this perception that he was far, far too small. So the fact is that he's had to punch above his weight for a long, long time. And he did that. And then some, and he was still dominant in the back row, turnover king. You know, that face, fair few scars on it, I think it's fair to say, uh, from getting a shoeing when he's been turning over ball. It takes a hell of a lot of bravery to do that. And uh, you've heard uh, on the grapevine from a very well-connected source that he's also the hardest puncher around. Yeah, well, I did a, I went to a corporate thing in the summer and John O was the um, guest speaker and he said that he was, unf- <laughs> he said actually the one to look out for was always Backy because he said he had the hardest punch in the team by far. And he said most of the damage was always, like, if there was ever a melee and punches were being thrown, yeah. John would always we were on getting the cars because he was the biggest, but he said the most amount of damage was Neil back under the radar, just launching people. <laughs> was it Backy's one inch death punch? Yeah, Backy was <laughs> I was yeah, Backy was just but also I think I heard on the rugby pod Andy Good was saying that once Neil Back had a fight with John Wells when John Wells was coach. And John Wells was a hard bastard himself. So I mean, as you say, I think he's a very, very worthy contender. Uh, and you've got one of the current crop to throw in the mix. Ollie Cracknell, um, A, he looks hard as nails. Secondly, he plays like hard, like he's hard as nails. And um, to be fair, when we had him on the podcast, he when we said, what's your uh, best attribute? And he just went hurting people. So, um, <laughs> you know, again, if it the parameters of It's like a villain this, from a Rocky film. Again, we come back to the parameters of this, of hard on the rugby field. And if it all went uh, crazy in a bar, Crackers is the sort of bloke for you'd want on your side so uh, yeah so what we're going to do because we'll, we're recording this on Sunday we'll put a tweet up um, asking for any suggestions just to see if we've missed any once so we'll do that on Monday and then we'll put a vote up um, by the end of the week so that we've got some um, results to talk through next week okay let's tear our eyes off last Friday, please, and look forward to a nice, easy game at home against Sale Sharks. Uh, it It's a perfect opportunity to bounce back, but it could also be very, very challenging. Yeah, look, the, op- the, the good thing is about how the season is, there's no bye weeks anymore, so you can get straight back on it pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and it's it's at home as well, so it's a, it's a great opportunity to, to, to put things right. And as we said earlier, it can't really get any worse. I mean, that was a pretty, pretty poor opening showing. And it is completely unlike everything that we've been doing over the last six weeks, which again is what makes Friday night so surprising in terms of where did that come from? So it's a great opportunity. The crowd, home crowd, we've got at least Tommy coming back, maybe a couple more in terms of internationals, don't know. But you work up against a good team. And you know with Sale, the thing with Sale is you know that you've got to be on it physically. You know you've got to turn up and match them physically. Otherwise, they will pulverise you because that's their strength. And so also you, you're almost forced out of necessity to, 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 to be on this one. And like you've just said, we've got a two-day extra turnaround. They played on Sunday. We played on Friday. So really... They have got no 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 excuses to not be on this from minute one, and they need to because also look the, the the downside of losing your first game is that the pressure ramps up a little bit. We saw it last year against Exeter. To lose it in the manner of what Tigers did 
means the noise increases even further. So you've got to, if you want to kill the noise, you've got to win. So look, I'm, I'm pretty sure the boys will be flying into training tomorrow. And I fucking hope they are flying into training next week so they can put it right. Yeah, that's right. So I think it's five past three. It kicks off Welford Road um, and it's on TNT Sports as well in case you can't make the game. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing to point out, Sale played on Sunday um, today as we're recording. Close game against Saints at home. They won 20 points to 15. Uh, so, you know, they, they've had a positive start to the season, but it's not a, a result that gets everyone kind of you know, panicking about how good they're going to be. We know they're going to be well-drilled. We know they're going to be physical. They've got some great players, even though they are missing a fair few, obviously, to the World Cup. Obviously, George Ford, Manu Tuolangi, uh, are big misses for them. But that you've still got guys like Quirk and War, Dupree, the, the whole gang of them, I think, that the, the whole trio's back. So they're going to be ultra, ultra-physical. Uh, and you've also got a very good scrum of uh, McIntyre and, and Shonut as well, who are both extremely competent props, who have, who have caused us problems before. So... You know, we can't rely on the the things that we sometimes take for granted, like the scrum, I don't think, this week. We've got to be properly on it. Everything needs to be focused. And we need to to make sure that we're clear about what sort of side we want to be and how we want to play against these guys because we can't have any more middling around like we did against uh, Bristol because if we do that against Sale, we will get slaughtered. Yeah, I think it's okay. It comes back to you've got to hit the very basics of what you are as a rugby team. And it comes back to the forwards, who whichever set of forwards do get selected have got to be up for it. And they've got to come out the blocks hard and they've got to come out the blocks menacing and they've got to hit hit sail hard and they've got to win the collisions both sides of the ball. And then from there, you know, we've seen over the last few weeks, if you give the halfbacks good quality ball, they can do something with it. And we've seen that when they get given up opportunities to do something with it. The backs can pull teams apart and they can play at pace and they can test defences and put teams under pressure. So again, it is a joined up thing. So what we've seen over the last six weeks, when the forwards go well, the backs go well. And again, it, it counts, we can put teams under pressure. We might some win, win some penalties. We can play in the areas that we want to do it. And the rolling ball, whilst it completely misfired against Bristol, has gone well over the course of pre-season. So it's just an opportunity. You've got to go back to hitting the very, very basics of our game. You know, we played at 20, 30% against Bristol in the first half. I think we've probably got to 50, maybe 60% of what we're capable of. That's, those are levels which are completely unacceptable. And we have got to be a much, we've got to put in one to 15 and one to 23 for 80 minutes, a much higher standard of performance. Because if we do that, we know that again, this isn't all us to a shit. They're not. These are good coaches, good players. If you play mm-hmm. to a better, co- better standard of what you're capable of, you will give yourself a better chance of winning this game. The good thing is, is that when things go badly wrong, it's usually quite easy to point out what has gone wrong. Uh, for example, the mall, they were able to get through and access the ball carrier far, far too easily each time. So we need to address that. We need to address the setup. Perhaps we were doing it wrong or perhaps we need to rethink how we're doing it. But I, I suspect it's the latter. I expect the players haven't executed it right and they would hold their hands up to that. The big question, of course, is going to come around selection on this. Yes. Because I think there'll be changes. So we're going to have Tommy Raffel back. Uh, I've currently got the South Africa game on in the background as we're watching. Um, sorry, as we're recording. <laughs> Bloody hell, mate. 22 minutes gone. 12-12, two tries each. It's an absolute slugfest. They're, they're, it, this isn't jabs. These are two heavyweights just swinging at the moment. It's mad. Um, but hopefully, France will be, still be standing at the end of it because that would mean that we get Jasper 
and Pollard back. And the good thing is, particularly with Pollard, is that he has spent a lot of preseason with us, and therefore he's up to speed. He can play, uh, you know, slot in straight away. But let's just assume the worst at the moment. That's that South Africa win, which would be, uh, I mean, I don't think either will be good for England in the semi-finals. But who, if we only assume that we've got Tommy back at the moment, what changes are you making to that starting fifteen? Because also, I think it's worth saying the absence of a jackal threat was was noted um, against Bristol. Yeah, um, I think. It's an interesting one because you either take the whole thing apart and say, well, I'm changing everything, or you 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 stay fairly consistent and you back the 15 that had a stinker against, or the majority of the 15 that had a stinker against Bristol to get a reaction from them a week later. Certainly in the front five of the pack, for me, stays as it is. There is an argument depending on how fit Jimmy Cronin is, whether he comes back. So... I'm not against it per se if Cronin starts. I suspect he may come off the bench and then it's a Francois Van Veek or Whitcomb to start. So I would probably go Van Veek to start with Cronin on the bench, but otherwise the front five stays exactly the same. The back row does change for me. Hanro is at six. I do think we lacked a jackal threat and presence on the floor. So Tommy, for me, has barely played that many minutes for for Wales. So he's, he's fairly fit. So I would play him from the seven. However, all, most me and you have got a certain a theory about Rogers and that we like him at six, but probably not at eight, considering how the rest of our back row sets up. So I would have Haverall at eight and have him being very, very aggressive. And I'd put Cracknell on the bench as the bench um, back rower because his versatility across all three positions. Halfback is where it gets interesting. I would probably stick with the vast majority of the backs, actually. However, I'd make two tweaks. I actually one tweak. I would keep Powell just, just, and he is a very lucky boy, but I would keep him and um let him go keep him going. I would also play Atkinson. Yeah, I, I know think... what you're gonna say because I told you my plan and I this was my plan for the sale game. But uh, yeah, well... for, for the Bristol game, and I was overruled by Dan McKellar, to be fair. Yeah, I know, yeah. So I would I would keep the back line as it was, but with the knowledge that Powell is very, very lucky. With Pollard, if Pollard stays at the World Cup, Atkinson, you'd, you'd kill him. I think, given his, his confidence levels are very, very poor, I think you would kill him if you then dropped him entirely from the 10 shirt. So I would keep Atkinson at 10. However, as an insurance policy, I'd keep I'd have Shilcock at 15 and get him goal kicking just to take some bit of pressure off Atkinson and just say, look, play the game. Shilcock will kick the goals. Just yeah. go and play the game. And get something from it then on the bench i would have a little bit of a change around so it's a bit unfortunate but i would have um cronin as my uh, cronin dolly heard i'd keep um williams cracknell would be my um back row forward whiteley would be on the bench and then i would have wilkinson and catter as the um as the other backs yeah, the the only thing I would say there is obviously you've already got Shilcock on as a ten. Do you need a third ten in the squad? Might be an idea whether or not you want Thorkin to sing around Kata so you can really bring on some different style of play. But happy uh, with that. I'm, I'm happy yeah, with that as well. Exactly. But I mean, this this was my theory on Shilcock starting last week as well. Was that you know we saw against Newcastle that Atkinson obviously he didn't have his kicking boots on. We saw during the warm up against Bristol he he was. Yeah, you know, not hitting them nicely to put it 
we pulled a couple of fake. I mean, there was one I saw, which was an absolute slam dunk kick, and he made a bit of a mess of that one, which I pulled a face at. We then both saw him shank a kick out of his hand, which we both collectively um, pulled a face at. So look, we were, yeah, we did keep an eye on him in the warm up, and it we we probably should, yeah, signs were there to be fair. Yeah, exactly. But if you can take that pressure off him, because like you say, when he missed his first one, you just wonder if that's playing on his mind. And if he knows he's out of form with the boot, there could even be a dread in his mind that's building throughout a game. Mm. So I think you take that off him, you give him a, a second playmaker who he can pull in. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think that makes his life a lot easier. And I think it gives the team potentially a lot more width as well. Uh, it also allows you to attack both sides. So I think it opens up a lot of options. For us, and I think that's um, that's the direction I go in as well. Otherwise, completely agree. Now let's go on to predictions. Um, I don't know where to begin. What you never know what Tiger's side is going to show up. Where are you going? I with think, it? I think, just purely because it cannot possibly, I cannot fathom it can be as possibly as bad again. Two weeks on the trot, I just think Tigers will be better, and I think they have to be better as well. And I think they know deep down it will be better. Um, so I've got Tigers to win and Tigers by six with a much better performance. Yeah, I feel the same. I think that they will be very, very, very angry and I think they will come flying into this game. As long as they do it in a controlled manner, I think that is super exciting and I think that there is a really, really good opportunity here for them to sort of write some wrongs and also just prove some points to themselves as well. You know, yeah. the, the, the confidence will be on an edge and... <laughs> You know, Wilford Road is a, is a good, is a great crowd. It's the best crowd, but it can be a fickle crowd. And, you, and I'm not saying you ever get booze, but you can get you know, that, that ripple of, uh, yeah, like disappointment. And I think that, you know, they will want to prove something to the fans as well. So I, I'm expecting a big first 20. I think Sarah will come back into it at some point. But like you, I'm going to say we're going to hang on and we're going to win by four. Well, here endeth the, uh, I don't know what episode is, episode nine, I think, this season. Therapy uh, pod, the therapy the pod. The therapy pod for the rolling ball. Um, look, it, it's been um, a bit of a short, punchy one for the reasons that we've just said. But what I would say is that it's going to leave us all feeling, hopefully, a little bit more calm. We've like, got it all out of the system for the rest of the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, as I say, things can only get better. <laughs> Uh, I won't sing it this time, don't worry. But look, Elliot, have a wonderful time in Marrakesh. Thank you very much. And yes, enjoy, thank you, enjoy, yeah. enjoy Croatia. It's business trip, mate. It's all strictly business. Anyway, we will be back next Monday with one of our normal extra long length podcasts. This is probably what a normal podcast sounds like. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone.